Welcome to the Christian Drummers Podcast, discussing the art of drumming to the glory of Almighty God. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Praise Him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. Howdy friends, it is as always a grand and glorious time to be a drummer in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this episode, we're going to continue to explore some ideas about dominion and drumming. We're going to talk practically about rehearsal and continuing our study of the fundamentals of rhythm. We're going to start talking about how we break up the rhythms that we know, and I'm going to teach you a fancy big word. So, let's get started. Earlier in the Dominion and Drumming series, I talked about the garden and how God has in a sense, placed each one of us in our own garden of ministry with our skills and talents, and that it was necessary then for us to continually kind of learn more and more about drumming and about rhythm and about pursuing the art with excellence so that we can more and more beautify what we've been given. And I want to talk today more about developing the tools and the skills necessary for that, more philosophically, because we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of that, but um, or should it be fruits and nuts with a garden? But anyway, uh, we're going to talk about developing our skills, okay? I was very fortunate to be on the Worship Lab podcast about a year ago, and I said at the conclusion of our interview that for those of you who are drummers in the church, you owe it to the rest of us to be good at this. If you serve the church with the skills which God has given you, then you owe it to us and you owe it to him to be good at it. And that means a lifetime of practice and a lifetime of developing your ability to to do the job, whether the job itself is an actual job or whether it's simply volunteering or creating art for the glory of God, you have to be good at it. God expects us to be good stewards of that which he's given us, right? And there can often be a temptation to become complacent with our abilities at any level. You know, I know that I've been guilty of this a lot in the past, of thinking, okay, I can do what I'm asked to do, you know, and I can do it pretty well. Everybody says I'm doing it well, you know, and and I get the songs learned and I play them and it sounds good and everybody's happy. That must be enough. But it really isn't because the more I learn, the more knowledge that I gain and the more time I spend sharpening and honing and uh, growing my skills, the more I learn that good enough isn't as good as I thought it was because your standards of good elevate. And I'm not talking about 
abilities in terms of the actual form and content of what you play. Okay, this isn't some kind of um, technical drumming versus feel drumming, because first of all, I don't believe in that kind of thing. I think it's a false distinction. But also, I'm not talking about being able to do lots of flashy things versus not. I'm talking about having the skill to perform what you're asked to do. And here's a great example. Look, I often say that worship music is not rocket surgery, right? But I have found even in the most simple kind of uh, eighth notey ACDC type beat I might be playing in, say, a passion tune, that... Again, the more that I learn and the more that I put my mind to my skills, the more I see the difficulty in doing that well, because again, my standard of doing it well rises. Um, we, we often confuse simple with easy, and those aren't the same. So if I'm playing a simple beat like that, man, every note is going to be vitally important, especially the two and four, and especially all the ands of the eighth notes. That's going to dramatically affect the character of the song and how it feels to people and how they expect it to uh, fall where they're expecting it to fall so that they'll sing. You know, uh, if I see people not singing, most of the time I wonder what I'm doing wrong rhythmically, you know. But anyway, um, so I'm, I'm always wanting to develop my ability to place notes exactly where they ought to go to have the most impact. That can be true, again, like in some kind of passion tune or, or some worship song, but it can also be true in prog rock, you know, and I love both of those. I do them both. I prefer one over the other, but you probably have already gathered that, um, but, <laughs> but be that as it may, uh, the ability to execute well kind of transcends content is what I'm trying to say. So that means none of us are off the hook. We have to develop our skills and we have to constantly be pursuing um, the ease of execution for whatever musical ideas we're called upon to execute, whether it's improvising or uh, whether it's, um, you know, just being asked to recreate what's on the paper. We have to be able to do that effortlessly, well, with good sound, good feel, all that sort of thing. Now, what establishes this duty, again, is the fact that God has gifted you to create beauty in front of him, whether it's in formal worship or whether it's in just the creation of art. The whole reason he's given you these skills and abilities is so that you can take them and glorify him. I want you to think about when the temple, or actually when the tabernacle was going to be constructed, and God is giving Moses the commandments of how to build everything and what to make it out of. He talks about, he, he, let me just read. <laughs> Yahweh said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, 
in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, that they may make all that I have commanded you, etc. Now, the overseer of the thing, God had given special um, charisma by the Spirit to understand craftsmanship and to know everything that he was supposed to make and, and what it was going to be like. And he and Aholiab were overseers of the whole project. They were the ones with the special supernatural gift. But then he says, And I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I've commanded you. And the sense there is that the abilities he's already given to these able men were so that they could do the various jobs that they were going to be assigned. And that's true of you, drummer. God has given you, able drummer, the ability to do these things that are going to be assigned to you. Maybe they'll be assigned to you by a band leader. Maybe they'll be assigned to you by the church. Maybe they'll be something that the Lord has given you freedom to create out of your own sense of artistic um, fulfillment. But you've been given those abilities, and so that renders to you the duty to pursue it. Um, you wouldn't want to build the tabernacle in a shoddy way, right? <laughs> well, you're beautifying the earth now, because in the New Covenant, it's even greater. The responsibilities are greater. The glory is greater. Everything's greater. You are building, um, well, you're building a beautiful city in which God is going to live with his people. So beautify it to the extent that you can and pursue your ability to beautify it more. And there's a reason for this, and that reason, besides just the mere, um, the mere glorifying of God, which ought to be enough, right? Um, I want you to think about competition and witness to the world. When my friend Frank Hart and I would talk about bands that we liked, like Tool, um, and uh, progressive bands. We're both into that kind of music. And and if I think about certain gent bands or certain jazz fusion bands or, um, you know, various kinds of very complicated music, um, sometimes we would just, you know, be in awe at the skill and the creativity that some of these guys are demonstrating. And Frank very wisely pointed out one edge that a lot of them have temporarily over Christian musicians, and that is that they have made music and creativity and skills and oftentimes just technical ability an idol. They worship music, and so they pursue it passionately all the time. It consumes all that they do. And sometimes, in a way, that sets us back because our first allegiance is to God. And so... Anything that we need to do in service to him that takes away from the time we would spend in the woodshed might put us temporarily behind them, right? But there is a witness that we have to make about the way that we pursue what God has given us. Um, Look, it's a cliche about Christian music being bad, you know? Um, A lot has changed, but... You know, it's still, you know, Christian rock is a joke to a lot of people. And the reason is often because we don't do it very well. 
or because we settle for good enough because we have an ulterior motive in making the music. A lot of times, especially in the early days of Christian rock, you know, it, the most important part of the thing was that it was a song about Jesus, you know, so putting out schlocky music behind it didn't really matter because the message was so important. Well, let's not lose sight of the fact that the medium is the message, you know, so whatever we're doing, we need to do it excellently. So there's a sense in which your responsibility to develop your skills is your witness, um, especially for those of us who just play drums. We don't sing, we don't write lyrics, we don't do anything, but just do what we do. And we need to demonstrate that we do it with excellence for the reason that we know where those skills and talents come from. So we don't want to turn practicing and developing and all of that into an idol, but at the same time we don't want to neglect it because it is our witness. So if we pursue it as such, then we might work a little harder at it. Like my testimony to the unbelieving drummer is how well I play. And that might get you through some uh, grueling practice sessions. We also need to be aware that we are part of a legacy and we need to leave a legacy. And um, if you think about, again, this is, this is going to be more just geared towards worship leading, but it, it's true for all of us. If you think again, you know, I've referenced the musicians in the temple and the the reforms that King David brought in, and I hope to explore this as its own topic, so I'm not going to go too far into it. But the church musicians of the tabernacle era that that when David introduced the musical reforms, there were whole families of musicians, and this was all that they did. Like their service to the Lord musically was their job. They were Levites, and they were um, they were set apart to, and, and it says prophesy with lyres and harps and cymbals. Okay, so we've been there since the beginning, friends. Um, but you know, the Chronicles will tell us of, of whole families who that's what they did, and this is just during David's times. They they were set apart. They received contributions for the people the way that Levites did so that they didn't have to do hardly anything but the music, day and night. They practiced all the time. They were given fine, exquisite instruments, the like of which nobody else had, so that they could serve God in front of the ark all the time and sing praise to him. And as I mentioned before, I think, years and years later, when the exiles returned from Babylon, they find those instruments. And they set aside the musicians. There were still musicians there as part of this legacy. And by that time, they had their own villages. Can you imagine that? A village full of church musicians where all we did was practice and work at what we did. And imagine what that would be like over a lifetime. Imagine a father who takes up the instrument when he's a child and he practices all his life. And then he passes that on to his child, and that child practices all his life. You might have something of the like of uh, Zakir Hussein, who was raised as a child to be a tabla master, right? Imagine whole families of that over generations and generations, and the skill that they would bring to the songs that were sung in the temple. Now, if you think about that, 
then think about where we're at. Have we neglected that kind of skill? Have we neglected that kind of pursuit? Have we neglected that kind of stewardship? It feels to me like we have. I feel like I have, and I tend to practice a lot. So just to wrap that up, I want you to start thinking about your exercising of dominion over the creation depends on your skill and in the knowledge that we talked about in the garden as you learn more about it. You also need to develop your tools, and your tools are your hands and your feet. And I'm going to start talking now about practical ways of learning how to practice so that you get the most out of it. But we'll get to that in later episodes. I want you to consider this legacy and this responsibility and then um, hit that practice room. Okay? Okay, now let's get practical and talk about rehearsal. I'm not a big fan of rehearsal. As uh, some of my employers might tell you, both in my attitude and the results of my playing. Um, But anyway, uh, you're going to run into a couple of different kinds of rehearsals, so let's make a distinction between those. For those of us who play in worship bands, we're talking about a run-through and sound check immediately before the service, and occasionally, sometime during the week, um, a time to get together and actually rehearse through the songs. I don't like that. Anyway, um, for those of you in more entertainment-oriented bands, or say, let's call it more of a showcase kind of band, rehearsal is going to be where you really hone your set. You know, um, if you're in a cover band, we're just talking about rehearsing to go through the songs we've learned and, you know, move on with our lives. But for those of us in like original showcase style bands, well, you have a set that you're going to showcase either on the road or as you play in those kind of clubs, and it's not going to change very much, right? So it's a lot like putting together a play, and you're going to rehearse every aspect of that performance. So that kind of situation is going to require a lot of rehearsal, just repetition, 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 as a band, not as individual members. But when we play in the church, um, in a worship service, we're mainly just coming together to make sure that we are playing the music together and playing the music um, as we were supposed to, you know, how, the way we're supposed to have learned it, and facilitate people singing over the top of that. Um, I want to right off the bat say that for all those different styles of rehearsals, Rehearsal is not practice, okay? Rehearsal is not practice. That is not the time that you show up and learn your part, unless it's been set aside for it to be the time that you show up and someone tells you what your part is going to be. But if you've been told, we're going to rehearse these songs, that's not practice, that's rehearsal. And so it is vital that you show up prepared, not just to make everything go easier, not just because then you're not wasting the time of the people who did show up prepared, but it's also easier on you. You're not under pressure to suddenly learn and perform a part. 
and you're not having to sit there and go over things again and again and again and again until everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Now, I said earlier, I don't like rehearsals. Well, let me tell you, one of the reasons I don't like rehearsals is because I show up ready to play the songs, and, you know, when somebody else doesn't, then I'm just sitting there, you know, looking at Facebook on my phone or something while somebody tries to get their part together. And it's just a waste of time. And I specifically don't like it if it's a waste of time for which I'm not being paid. (laughs) But even in situations where it's for fun or, you know whatever. It's a waste of time and I could have been doing something else. So again, not a big fan of the protracted rehearsal. But let's talk about ways that you can arrive prepared. It's really going to depend on the material, of course, but if I'm given an MP3, and usually that's what we're given, you know, here's some recordings of some songs to know, then I'm going to For myself, I'm going to make my own drum chart to it, but if included with the MP3 is some kind of a rhythm chart or whatever, then I'm going to listen through it and I'm going to make notes on the chart as I need to, to tell me what does the bass drum do, what does the snare drum do, do I play the ride cymbal here, do I play the hi-hat here, is this quiet, you know, that sort of thing. Or as I'm charting out the song, I'm going to be making my own notes for that. But it's very important that you know, okay, am I supposed to recreate this in its entirety? Am I supposed to get the general idea of it? Whatever. I start with, I'm going to recreate this recording exactly as I hear it. And I write all that out, and I am prepared to play it that way. Then, in rehearsal, the band leader has the option to amend what we're doing. Um Specifically, I want to stress that you should know the parts. Um, One of the things that really kind of makes a band sound like they don't have it together is when the drummer's kick drum pattern and the bass player's pattern aren't meshing or they're changing measure to measure or this time through the verse he's playing something different but the bass player didn't catch it and they're not together. That sort of stuff needs to be understood in advance. You need to know, okay, this is the basic rhythm pattern of the chorus, of the verse. In this song, I need to know where this stop is. All that sort of stuff. You need to arrive prepared so that everything can go quickly. It's for your own good, too. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about rehearsal etiquette, and it's here that Some of my friends at First Baptist or at the Ark or at Westminster might chuckle a little bit, but (laughs) um, I like to joke around in rehearsal. I like to try to keep things kind of lighthearted just to make it fun, mainly, again, because I don't particularly want to rehearse, so I try to make it fun. But at the same time, I hope that I'm not kind of dominating the rehearsal with that kind of stuff. I'll throw a little bit in here at the end of a song or something like that and maybe play something funny. Or if we're running through the song for the millionth time, I might play a funny fill or something like that. But for the most part, I want to play the song when we're supposed to be going over the song so that everybody hears what they need to hear and and is satisfied that it's together. When the band leader is giving some instruction, I don't want to be playing anything When the sound man is working on something, I don't want to be playing anything. 
when Frank Hart is tuning his guitar. Well, I do want to be playing something, but he doesn't want me to be playing anything. And I just want to do as asked and get out of the way because we've all been there when there's seven or eight of us and everybody's noodling around on their instrument. It's chaos and we're just sitting there wasting our time. So let's not do that. Um, Also, as I'm being given direction by whoever has the authority to do that, I want to make sure that I'm taking notes and I'm really listening to them. Um, if, If it's a change to a part, I need to notate that change. Don't rely on your memory because you're going to forget it. Sooner or later, you're going to forget it. Um, If they're asking me questions, I want to answer them. And this is another place where preparation can be key. Sometimes there's an issue of how many measures is this part, what happens next here in the song, and that sort of thing. And isn't it helpful if you already know that answer and you can tell somebody? You know, I, I try to do that, to be helpful to people. Like, hey, isn't it true that in bar 14 we all do this? And that can help the guy who's not nailing his part nail his part. It's also important, again, as we talked about with monitoring, I want to make sure that I hear everybody and that I listen to everybody so that I know what they're doing. Maybe we are putting some kind of change or inflection into the song we were supposed to learn. Well, I want to know what the other band members are doing and how I'm going to mesh with that, right? I want to reinforce something cool if they're doing something cool. Um, If there's a change that the band leader is making to the mood of the piece, I want to um, do everything that I can to amplify that change and to help achieve their goals. And just in general... Let's be thinking of ways that we can make rehearsals be smooth and easy. Now, for those of you involved more in the showcase kind of band, again, you're going to be working out cues and transitions and things like that and repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating to make it second nature. So there's not going to be as much getting out of the hard work of it. But again, you know, if you're going to be putting in a four and five hour rehearsal every night during the week. On the one hand, there's things you can do to make it lighthearted and easy for everybody, you know, so it's not drudgery. But on the other, the more that you're all business, then the less time y'all are wasting and the more time you have to yourself and your family. Um, You know, if I were preparing a 90 minute set with a band to go take on the road, I know that I'm going to be rehearsing the crap out of it, but I want to just come in, start the set, rehearse the crap out of it, and then get out and, you know, go back to um, my, you know, home life or whatever. So uh, let's be thinking about all these things and ways that we can make rehearsals effective. Rehearsal is for the band as a whole. So the more you can keep that idea the easier everything's going to be for everybody and the more effective it's going to be. So think about that the next time you show up for a rehearsal. Father, you are holy. Okay, now continuing in our fundamentals study. 
We talked about the basic rhythms of all the music that we play, the basic subdivisions. We've talked about moving from one to another and how you can develop your timing and accuracy with that. Now I want to focus on really what's going to make up, man, pretty much the bulk of everything you're going to play in popular music. And that is the use of the permutations of 16th notes or triplets. Permutations is a fancy word that simply refers to the mathematical possibilities of a thing. So if you think about the fact that on one beat you can have four 16th notes, which we are counting one E and a, so you have one E and a, two E and a, three E and a, four E and a, well, you don't have to play all the notes, right? And there are 16 possibilities of what you can do on one beat with that subdivision. You could do nothing. You can play on the one, the E, the and, or the uh. You could play every other note, or you could play every other note. You know, you could play the ones and the ands. You can play the E's and the us. You could play the first two the next two, the next two, or the last and the first. You can play the first three, the last three, the first one and the uh, three and four, or you could play the first two and the fourth, and then you could play all four. So those are the permutations of 16th notes. Now I'm including a worksheet on johnnydrums.com that will list all of these with how to count them, written in the most standard ways that they're written. We can do the same with triplets. Of those three notes, you can play various combinations of them. Now, here's why that is important. Almost everything that you're going to play is going to be in duple or triple feel, and you are going to be playing these rhythms strung together in various ways and not much else. So, this if we think of the basic rhythms as having been our alphabet, this is more like learning grammar and vocabulary. Okay? So we're going to study how to accurately place these notes while leaving the right amount of space on on a beat. Okay? So what you can start with is by playing each one of these slowly to a metronome while you count it out loud. Here are some very brief audio examples. I can play on beat one. I can play on only the E's. I can play on only the ands. I can play on only the uh. Here is one and or eighth notes. Here is E and uh. 
Here is one E. Here is E and. Here is and a. And here is one and a. One e and. E and a. One and a. One e a. Now I'm assuming you don't have to hear all four. So practice each one of these and repeat it over and over. And I want you to count every note, including the missing ones. That way you learn to feel the space that you're leaving. Here's the same thing with triplets. One. Trip. Let. One trip. Trip let. One and let or the shuffle. And again, I don't think you need to hear what triplets sound like. I want you to start by just playing these on a snare drum or practice pad with your sticks. But then, where this gets really interesting is in learning how to play them, for example, on the bass drum while your hand, hands, play a rock beat. So you can play eighth notes on your hi-hat, two and four on the snare, and practice each permutation by itself on the bass drum while you count 16th notes. Beyond just learning various rock beats, what this does is it gives you the ability to put a bass drum note on any beat of the measure effortlessly. And that's what you need to know how to do. What are grooves, if not that, just stringing these permutations together, right? Or if you're a jazz player, you can play the standard ride pattern and a two and four on the hi-hat and the ride pattern on the ride cymbal, right? And um, practice the triplet permutations on either the snare drum or the bass drum and various other ideas like this. Really, once you understand this idea, you have the key to learn pretty much anything from here on out. So this is m more a concept. If I practice the permutations, in the style in which I intend to use them, then I have a means by which I can organize my practice and develop my ability within that style. So that's a lot of work, 
but try just these examples and see how it helps you with your timekeeping and with your overall comfort level. Have fun. And so we draw this episode to a close. Thanks for hanging out. I've pretty much been improvising today because uh, it's been a busy couple of weeks. Um, again, I sure do want to hear from y'all. I've gotten some feedback and it's been very encouraging. Um, if there's more that you want to hear, I would like to know about it. Again, also, if you could review and rate the podcast on iTunes, it helps very much. And share it far and wide with all your drummer and other musician friends. Okay, a couple of shout-outs. Let's do some shouting out. I really like that shouting out that the kids do. It's probably been about a year and a half since I first discovered the brothers and sisters at Apologia Church in Arizona and their podcast, Apologia Radio, and now Apologia TV. And I can't tell you how much Jeff and Luke and Joy and Marcus have become an encouragement to me just because here's some people with whom I share some theological distinctives doing what they do so well in a fun and entertaining and informative way. And listening to them and getting to know them online and that sort of thing has really been a blessing to me. So I urge you to check out Apologia Radio. Also, my dear friend Todd Wright, who already has a great podcast, already is an amazing songwriter and worship leader, has started a podcast for that. It's called Average Everyday Worship Leader, so you should search for him on iTunes as well. Todd really has a heart for the guys just really doing it, not trying to be rock stars, not anything other than just serving the church and doing it well. And He's very thoughtful about that, and I appreciate that so much. So I want you to check him out too. Okay, and finally, let's close in a word of prayer. Almighty God, giver of every good and perfect gift, guide us in the pursuit of excellence in drumming, that we may use our skills for your good pleasure and glory in humble submission to those you have placed over us. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.